welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. Nothing will crash a party more or quicker than, you know, some kind of a dumb decision. How many have ever been at a party and made a dumb decision? Let's be honest. Let's be, this is church. Let's be, let's be honest. We all probably have a, a story or two to tell. And I remember being at a party. It was a youth group party for my church. We were, Tara and I were dating. We were 19 and we had this youth event at a bowling alley. That We were having this like celebration at a bowling alley, and we're 19. I don't bowl very often. I don't really know the sport very, very well. And, and so we were at this bowling alley. We had, I don't know, probably 20, 30 youth, and we had a good time. We had a couple lanes, and, and I felt so bad for Tara because we were dating, and I was still in that, that stage of the relationship where I was trying to be really impressive to my girlfriend, and I was watching her bowl and every time she would throw the ball it would go into the gutter I was like oh I felt so bad for her so one of these times that she got up I had this brilliant idea that when she would throw the ball and 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 as soon as I would see the ball going for the gutter I would take a bowling ball and I would throw it down and get her a strike now again don't judge me I don't know bowling that well I don't I don't bowl very frequently so I don't know all the mechanics of a bowling alley so she goes and she throws the ball down the lane, and I'm watching the ball just go into the gutter again. I go, there it is. And so that was my moment. I was like, oh, I'm like, this is it. And I threw the ball. And I mean, I threw it so hard, and it was going so perfect. I mean, it was the best ball I'd thrown down a lane, I think, ever. And it was right in the middle, and it was flying. It was almost, I thought it was going to pass her bowling ball in the gutter. But just before my ball hits the pins, her ball goes into the gutter, And I didn't know this, but when the ball goes into the machine, the machine automatically tells the gate to go down to reset the pins. So as her ball hits that little buzzer, the cage is coming down to reset the pins, and my bowling ball hits the cage and knocks the whole mechanism off of its little thing, whatever it was, and the whole thing crashed. It broke it. And I mean, it made the loudest noise. Everybody in the whole bowling alley is looking over at this lane that I just broke. And then they're looking at me. This guy's hopping over the counter and he's just looking at me running, you know, like, what did you do? And then he comes back over and says, you guys all get out of here. I got a youth group thrown out of a bowling alley because I crashed the party with a dumb decision. And needless to say, Tara was not impressed at all. You got us kicked out of the bowling alley. Go wait till the kids go home and tell their parents about what kind of youth interns we are. She goes, not we, you, right? (laughs) But this is kind of in alignment with what we're talking about today because God can be doing some great things. 
And then we make some dumb decisions and all of a sudden our life that was experiencing this great thing is now going the opposite direction. And this is what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 13. God was doing a great work in Jerusalem and then the people said, we want you to do a great work in us. And he started to do that and we talked about how they made this declaration. They were renewed in the word. They were renewed in worship. They were renewed in values. God was doing some incredible incredible good things and I wish I could say and they all lived happily ever after the end and we can move on to the next book of the Bible that we're going to study but that's not what happened in chapter 13 we realize that there was a crash and the revival ended up really getting messed up and stories like this is good because as you study the Bible these stories are in here for us to learn. L listen to what 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says. It says, these things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. We're at the end of the age. Uh, nothing will tell you that more than a pandemic and, and, and crazy uh, you, you know, um, stuff happening in our culture and, and all of this uh, unrest and uncertainty but let me take you to verses 6 and 7 and kind of unpack chapter 13 for you so you can understand what is taking place. It says, but while all of this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is writing this. He's chronicling his adventure with the people of God in Jerusalem. It says, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, of Persia, I had to return to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Now, most Bible scholars believe this is anywhere from like eight to 12 years. So he had a job as a cupbearer for the king before he went back and rebuilt the walls. It's been several years, 12 years, right? He's, he's there, he's in Jerusalem, he's a governor, and now he goes back, he takes his old job back, but he starts thinking about the people of Jerusalem going, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder if they're like still leaning into their faith. I wonder if revival is still taking place. And so it says, here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing to buy a room in the courts of the house of God. Now, Eliashib was the high priest. He was like the man of God that Nehemiah had put in place in his absence. Like, bro, I don't know if he called him bro, but like, bro, like keep the revival going. Like all of these things that we've seen God do, keep the fire burning. All right. I'm out of here. I got to go work at my old job and, and we'll check in and, and we'll catch up later. Well, what happens, and this happens not just in the Bible, this happens in our lives. What happens when we are going through a trial, when we're going through a difficulty, right? When, when we're experiencing some failure in our life, we lean into our faith a lot more diligently, don't we? Than when things are going okay, things are going good, things are you know, pretty much uh, normal, successful, and I had a friend years ago that, that told me this. He said, Jim, failure doesn't concern me as much as success does because it's in success that we let our guards down and things kind of find them, themselves into our life. I like to say it this way. Success brings complacency and then complacency opens the door to compromise. 
it opens the door to compromise. Some of you understand that. It's like you take your foot off the gas with your faith when everything is fine, but you tend to lean more in your faith when you really need God to move for you. You need a miracle. You need a breakthrough. It's like, I'm praying a little more. I'm reading the Bible a little bit more. I'm going to be talking to my, my, my Christian friends a little bit more than I normally do. Why? Because I really need God to move. But in success, we tend to let our foot off the gas a little bit. So this morning, we're going to use chapter 13 to talk about the four compromises that crash the revival. And we can learn from this because this isn't just unique for Nehemiah and the people of God in Jerusalem. This is our story. This is what happens in our lives if we're not careful, if we're taking our foot off the gas with our faith. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, and that is letting the enemy move in. You already saw that in verses six and seven, but let's back up. Let's go to verse four and five. It says, before this, Elishib, the priest, the high priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God in the temple. He was closely associated with Tobiah. If you know anything about the story of Nehemiah, Tobiah is the enemy. He is the person that is having an issue with Nehemiah coming in and creating stability again for the people of God. And he said he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil prescribed to the Levites, musicians and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions to the priests. So he basically let the enemy, the person that was their adversary, he let them move in and use a room for storage. Saying, hey, I'm just going to keep a couple items here. Are you cool with that? And somehow, Elisha, the high priest, the, the, the guy that was being put in charge, is now making deals with the enemy. And what I see happen with so many people's lives that are followers of Jesus. We're not talking about people that are outside the church. We're talking about people that are in the church, people that believe in God, people that are following Jesus, is that they get into a place where even as followers of Jesus, they just subtly let things into their life that are completely leaving room for the enemy to move in right behind them. In other words, we're giving the enemy access to our lives. And some of it's subtle, others of it is, is a lot more pronounced. Uh, what I see, and this is my experience, the Bible talks about this a little bit, but this is more experience than the Word of God here. I, I see like the top four ways that people of God let the enemy come in in their lives, and I see it over and over again. So it's worth putting a warning label on on these things and be very careful and concerned when these things kind of pop their heads up in your life. But the first thing I see is alcohol abuse. We know the Bible doesn't forbid alcohol consumption, but it does tell us not to get drunk. But we've seen a lot that trouble tends to take place the worse when people are drunk. Some of us, the, the bad decisions that we made came when we weren't sober. Let's be real. And that alcohol abuse, you talk to any police officer, they'll tell you almost 100% of the time when they get called out to a house for domestic violence or domestic dispute, alcohol is involved. Almost 100% of the time. Alcohol, somebody drank a little bit too much and things got carried away. There was a fight that broke out or whatever. Somebody got hit, somebody got punched, somebody got pushed. And that happens. So alcohol abuse is a major way that people let the enemy come in and start taking up strongholds in their life. Drug abuse is another way 
that, that people you know, that, that do drugs, even recreationally, can kind of mess with you and, and give the enemy room to move in and start just manipulating you and disrupting the movement of God in your life. You know, it's interesting. In Galatians 5, it talks about this idea of the deeds of the flesh compared to the work of the Spirit. And it contrasts these two things. And in the deeds of the flesh, it gives us this extensive things like, this is how you know you're not walking in the spirit, you're more walking in the flesh. And it mentions in this list, it talks about sorcery. Which, you know, when I say sorcery, we just got done with Halloween, right? We think of witches and maybe spells and all of that sorcery. But the word in the Greek language is the word pharmakia. This is where we get our English word pharmacy, where, you know, we talk about drugs, and it's not a mystery to a lot of people that have done drugs that there is a spiritual component to some level when you actually do mind-altering drugs. And we don't need to go into taking a poll of how many have taken mind-altering drugs, but chances are, if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's dangerous, because what you're doing is you're letting the enemy have access to your spirit, and it's in those moments that things can go bad really, really quick. In more modern times, what we see happening, and I'm feeling this a lot as a pastor, is pornography. And it's not just men that are having an issue with porn now. It's women that are having an issue. And it seems as though porn comes into somebody's life and it takes hold of them. And then they get into this place where there's a stronghold there of lust. There's a stronghold of shame. And they can't seem to see clearly the direction that God is moving their life anymore. It, it kind of blurs everything. And so I've seen porn do major damage in people's faith, in people's relationship, in their marriages, and so on and so forth. So here's the fourth thing I've seen really allow the enemy to come in and start manipulating people's life is unhealthy relationships. Letting the wrong people in to your life, and they start taking you in a bad direction. Now, I don't know what the relationship here with Eliashib and Tobiah, but they had to be pretty close buddies for Elisha to say, yeah, bro, you know, store your stuff here. Dude, I got an extra room. Yeah, it happens to be in the temple of God. Like, you don't just do that with a stranger. There, there was a relationship that was there. And there are times when I have dealt with relationships of people that weren't necessarily followers of Jesus, that they were in my life. And they were, they were actually working against the direction I felt that God was wanting to take my life. And all of us can probably think of a relationship like that. There's a scripture that Paul writes that says, don't be deceived. That bad company corrupts good morals, good values. And I've seen that in my own personal life. But here's, here's the good news. We don't have to live in a way where we're giving the enemy room to manipulate and take control of our lives. We don't have to live with strongholds of the enemy dictating to us the direction that we are gonna live our lives and crashing the revival that God wants to do in our hearts. Listen to Jesus and how Jesus lived. John 14, verse 30. I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. So the ruler of the world he's talking about is Satan. He's talking about the devil that even though God created the world, the management of the earth has been deeded over to the devil. And he is in control. He's messing with people's lives. You don't need a pastor to tell you that. You just have to watch the news for five, ten minutes, and you can see that evil is real. 
and that the reason evil is real and exists is because we are under bad management right now in this world. But here Jesus goes on record to say, even though the devil is having a heyday with everything else in the world, he's not having a heyday in me. I have removed him from any place in my life from having any kind of control in me or, uh, or around me. I, I've said no to him. I've, I've not allowed him to move in. And that's hope for us, church, that we can live in such a way where the enemy doesn't have handlebars in our lives anymore, where he's not manipulating us with shame. He's not manipulating us with, with lust. He's not manipulating us with addiction, that he can set us free once and for all. But here's what happens sometimes when we do allow him to move in. We got to go and do some house cleaning. We, we got to empty the room. Check out what Nehemiah does. He's bold. I love Nehemiah here. He says, I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. <laughs> I just see him just throwing it all out on the curb going, here you go, bro. Here it is. It's all gone. I gave orders to purify the rooms. Then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. What was like a, a, a double a bad thing in this situation was that not only did he give Tobiah room in the temple, he actually gave room where God was supposed to be at. The, 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 the instruments of, of God's worship were supposed to be in there. And they had been crowded out by all of this junk that Tobiah was bringing in. And Nehemiah said, no, we're, we're going to do a house cleaning. This last week, Tara and I, we went down to Bakersfield. We had this storage locker since we moved here to Thousand Oaks. We, we've been here over a year, living here full time. Uh, and we had the storage locker. It was full. Even though our house already had full. Like, how many have so much stuff that you can't even park your car in the garage? You know, that has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just want some comfort that we're not the only family that lives like that. All right? So we have a whole storage locker in Bakersfield and, and every month, I'm, I'm getting dinged, right, on my checking account like this. Like, man, I could have paid for all of this stuff that, that is in that locker by now if I turned around and bought it all brand new. So I'm like, we've got to take care of this. And it just we kept procrastinating, procrastinating, and finally we said, we're going to do this. But you know what made it like a lot easier to, to go and accomplish and take care of is to get some helpers to help me clear the room out. So we got some helpers in Bakersfield that helped me pack the truck in one hour. This job that I had been dreading for months, over a year, was taken care of in one hour because I had some helpers that were helping me load the truck and to get rid of the stuff. Sometimes that room is so full of junk and crud that you look at it and say, I, I don't even know where to begin. I will tell you right now in this message, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, grab some helpers and then the task won't feel as daunting. This is where life groups play a key role into your revival taking place and continuing to take place in your life. Having people that you can lean into and say, hey, I don't have to empty this room by myself. I, I have my friends that, that I'm doing life with. I have my pastors. I, I have people that, that really love me and are here to make sure that I stay in a healthy, purified place in my life. Even after church, if you don't have those people in your life, hey, I'm here to be your helper today. I'll pray over you. Pastor Phil will pray for you. Our leadership will pray for you. But the bottom line is, if your room is full of stuff that God doesn't want there, it's time to clean the room. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to clean the room. Say, it's time to clean the room. 
metaphorically speaking, I'm not here to shame you in your garage, all right? Because that means I would have to go clean my garage out. But here's the second revival crasher. Write this down. So one is letting the enemy move in, but number two is putting God on the back burner. You know, in the earlier chapters of Nehemiah, man, God was like front and center. Everything in their life revolved around God. They, wanted, they couldn't get enough of God. God was, was everything that they were doing. I mean, hours and hours they were listening to the word and worshiping and lamenting and repenting. And it was God, God, God. But now Nehemiah's been away. Eliashib had made some deals with the enemy. And look at the result in verse 10 and 11. It says, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So the Levites were the people, they were like the church staff. And so the people stopped contributing to their, their salaries. And so they were like, we have to go get jobs so we can't take care of the house of God. So it says, so I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. So they went on record, the people of God, in chapter 9, verse 30, it says, and we will not neglect the house of God. Like They did all of these like, like uh, agreements, and they signed their names. But, and one of the things, they, they said, we're going to actually highlight this one at the end. We are definitely not going to neglect the house of God. Like that, we, we know our ancestors did that, but man, we will never do that. Be careful anytime you say the word never. <laughs> Because it has a way of coming at you harder when you tell somebody you'll never. And it came after them hard. Now they had, they had put God so much on the back burner that they had stopped serving, they had stopped giving, and they had even stopped attending. God was not first any longer. God moved into a place where he was getting leftovers. Here's for us, like talking about revival crashers for us personally. Is God getting your first or is God getting your leftover? Is he getting your first or your leftover? Matthew chapter 6, 33, Jesus said it this way. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Look at your neighbor and say, God first. Say, God first. Now, th this is a way to live to prevent the crash. This is a way to live in perpetual revival for your life. It's God first. And we get to choose to live like this every day when you wake up. You, you make a decision when you wake up. There's two ways to look at your morning. When you wake up, you say, good morning, Lord. Or you can say, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> See what I did there with that? But, but you, you have a decision. And, and part of the, the way that you make God first is you say, I, I get up at 7, but, I, but I'm actually going to get up at 6.50. I'm, I'm going to take 10 minutes, and I'm going to put God first. And see how that, that just, just changes the rhythm for your entire day. Because now that God is first, you, you're seeing God in everything that is happening. Acknowledge God in all your ways. He'll make your path straight. So now all of a sudden, your, your, your path, your, your life is so much more calm. There's so much more peace because now you're acknowledging God in all of your ways because God is first. 
You put God first as far as giving and, and acknowledging God first with your finances. And, and I have to commend you guys. I have to thank you so much that you guys have maintained a generosity at this church that has sustained us and allowed us to continue to be a church in the midst of a pandemic. And I just want to honor you and thank you for everything that you've done to give, to contribute to Atmosphere Church, because we could not be here without your generosity. And I really know that God is going to bless you for staying faithful with that. And I will say, even you showing up, even you being here, that, that's all a part of making God first. Because, I mean, Sunday, you know, if you're in the NFL, you're like, I'm going to watch some games. I mean, there could be all kinds of reasoning you could put on besides going to church. But you made church a priority. You, you put God first. It's Sunday, so God first. We're, we're going to go to church. It changes everything when you decide to live in a place where God is first and he's not getting your leftovers. If, if God is get, you're getting your leftovers, there, there is this subtle drift that takes place when God gets per, put on the back burner. Matter of fact, I believe it leads to this third revival crash. So write this down. That is, we stop trusting God. We stop trusting God. Now for Nehemiah, and the people of God in Jerusalem. It says, in those days I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading them on donkeys together with wine and grapes and figs and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. The Sabbath was a big principle and it was a law that God had given to the people of God for them to follow. And without getting too into the details about all of the reasons why God gave us the Sabbath and told us to keep the Sabbath, it comes down to three big ideas. The Sabbath has three big ideas to it. Number one is rest, because we need rest. Number two is worship. We, we need to honor God and recognize God in, in our week and in our lives. And number three is trust. And I would circle trust as probably the biggest component of Sabbath. Because you could work really, really hard all seven days, but what happens at the end of the seventh day when it's all, uh, it's all your work, there's some pride that can set in, right? And you can say, look what I did. Look at this great thing that I built. Look at this, this wonderful uh, uh, assignment that I accomplished. But when you, when you carve out a day, you give God room to take what you would do good and make it great. And then at the end, then you're able to say, look what God did. Look what God did through me and through this situation. It gives you room to honor and glorify God in whatever it is that you're trusting him to do. But here's what I want to tell you. When you start drifting, you stop trusting. When you start drifting, you stop trusting. And we all do it, not just the people of God in the story of Nehemiah. We all do this. When we start drifting, we put more trust in ourselves than we do to God. Remember I mentioned how sometimes trials and difficulties and failures actually cause us to lean more into God in our faith than when we are you know, having success happen for our lives? Here's what happens with trust. We tend to trust God when we are in the midst of a trial. And we have to trust God when we're in the midst of a trial. And here's, here's the, kind of the bad news 
bad news is trials are a part of life. I, I don't care how godly you are. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to experience difficulty. But take courage, I've overcome the world. That's, that's the hope right there, and that's the good news. But the bummer is we're all going to experience trials. And one pastor I listened to says, you're either in one of three categories. Either you're going through a trial, you've just finished a trial, or you're about ready to start a trial. <laughs> and either one of those three categories is not fun. But there's something about trials that force us to have to trust. And when we are what I call living in the land of hunky-doryville, we don't have drama. We don't have the trial. We're like, ah, we're not really experiencing any difficulty, so I don't really have to trust God. So we start trusting more into ourselves. And one thing I know is that we cannot be trusted. <laughs> I'm just going to be real. You look at your friend and say, you can't be trusted. Just tell them that, right? You can't be trusted. Say, oh. And just look back and say, neither can you. We can't trust ourselves. Because at some given point, our leg's going to come out underneath us. And there's going to be a stumbling. There's going to be a fall. Things happen. And why wait for a trial for us to renew our trust in God? See, we can create a lifestyle where we're trusting God all the time. In this season, this last week with the election, I think it's been very exposing. There's been, there's been a, a revelation for a lot of people that really instead of putting trust in God, they've been putting trust in other things, not just themselves, but in other things. And I want to speak into that for a second because there's some of you that, that even you, you came into church today with a funk because of everything with, with what's going on. Can I give you, I'm going to give you a psalm, right? This is, this is going to set you free. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in Republicans. Some trust in Democrats. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen. Is that really in the Bible? <laughs> no, it's not. I added that. I, don't, I, I probably get in trouble. But I, but honestly, we could, we could insert these things in here. The real verse from the NIV reads it, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Anytime you put your trust in yourself, you put your trust in a politician or, or a president or, or a, a, the government in, in, in itself, you put your trust in man, you're going to eventually be disappointed. The only one that you can really trust, no matter what it is that's going on, is God. And I believe that this is the moment of our lives where we can kind of renew our trust in God. That it's not in who's in the White House, it's, on, it's, it's about who's on the throne, which is God. He's above whoever sits in the White House. And this is really, I think, sobering for us to realize that some of us, we put way too much stock in that guy, whoever it is that's in there. And I've got I've to be honest with you, and this isn't my political opinions, I'm just reading Nehemiah 13. I'm studying scripture. I'm looking at this. And you know what's so, I, I would consider this a God wink. And you, you may accuse me of reading too much into this. But Nehemiah 13, it starts off with, with telling the story of Balaam, which is an Old Testament story where Balaam is being hired by the enemies of Israel to prophesy a curse against Israel. And they were going to pay him and take care of him. 
And Balaam actually considered it. He was like, okay, that's not a bad deal. I think I'm going to do this. And on his way to pronounce this curse over Israel, God stopped him. And God used a donkey to actually talk to him and forbid him from actually going with it and, and breaking God's will in his life. So say, well, how does that have to do anything with the election or politics? God used a donkey to accomplish his will. Hello, the Democratic Party is represented by a donkey. I don't know, maybe you say, Pastor, you're way, reading way too into this. And I might be, but I looked at that and say, who's to say that Joe Biden can accomplish something for God's will that Donald Trump couldn't do if Donald Trump was president. Say, but you're getting ahead because you know the counts haven't been verified. I know all that, but I just want to bring us back into this position that God will accomplish his will, whether there's a Democrat in the White House or a Republican in the White House, God's will will be accomplished. It will. And that leads me to the next Psalm, which is Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. You know, in the Hebrew language, do you know what that means? It means to literally put your hands down to your side. I don't know if you're like me. I have a problem sitting still. Tara will always notice, like, I will be tapping my foot. I will be wringing my hands. Anyone with me on that? Anyone do that? Just, I, I don't know what you call it. Is it nervous behavior or just somebody that's antsy? That I've got to always be active. I'm afraid I'm going to fall asleep if I don't. So, so for me to put my hands down on the side is, like, really difficult. But one thing I've learned about my relationship with God is that I hear God the clearest when I'm at my quietest. Can I say that one more time? I hear God the clearest when I'm at my quietest, when my hands are down on the side and I'm saying, God, I trust you, that you're in control, and that your will will be accomplished. Just put your hands to your side. Some of you, let's do that right now. Just put them to your side. Say, that makes me uncomfortable. Do it anyway. Just, just cease striving, as another translation reads it. Cease striving and know that he's God. And put yourself in a position where you trust him. You don't have to wait for a trial. Live in a such a way that, that you have to trust God for all kinds of daily situations. And the reason some of you aren't having God stories and miracles in your life is you're living too comfortably. You're living in this place where you, I don't need to trust God. Live your life so boldly that you have to rely and trust in God every day. Whether it's sharing your faith with that stranger at Starbucks or maybe stepping out and helping that person that looks like they have a need on the side of the road or, or maybe it's doing some ministry that just seems ginormous and too big for you to do. That is living by faith and that is living in a position where you have to trust in God. Tara and I, when we planted this church, we were living pretty comfortably had a church in Vegas, and God started saying these things to us that, uh, that sounded as if God wanted to do a new work in Thousand Oaks, and we were resistant. Honestly, I was like, planting a church is hard. I've done it a couple times, and I don't want to do it again. I did it as, as her dad's helper, but I was like, I don't want to do this on my own, and I resisted, and I kind of wrestled with God a little bit on that, but I'm telling you, when we stepped out and when we trusted God with it, man, I have seen God do miracles I would keep you here for days telling you about, and I would have never experienced those miracles had I not put myself in a position where I had to trust God. 
When we started the church, we had no money to buy anything that we needed to start this church. We took the equity out of the house that we owned and we put it all towards buying the supplies that we needed to give this church. And since then, God supplied us a house here. He supplied everything. I mean, our church is growing. I mean, you can't outgive God. And he's taught me that over and over and over again. And I've got just a story that's in the works that we're trusting God for a building right now. In the midst of COVID, and, and we got news on Friday that the building may be coming sooner than later. Uh, it's just pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. But where are you having to trust God? Ask, ask yourself that question, because that will be not just a, a prevention for revival crashing. That will actually help bring in an extra dose of revival to your soul when you live in complete trust with God. Okay, number four, and I've got to end this, was partnership with the wrong people. Partnership, I, 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 I touched on this earlier, but when I'm talking about partnership, I'm not talking about friendship. Friendship and partnership are different. But when you, when you get the wrong people in your inner circle, you know it can damage you. Some of you have experienced that firsthand. You know having the wrong people come in, it can actually not just you know, mess with your faith, it, it can actually damage your life. And I really believe that God created us as environment absorbers. And so the more that we put ourselves in environment, the more we're going to absorb of that environment. So we got to make sure that the partnerships that we're allowing into our life are healthy, godly, and are actually going to help lift us up instead of pull us down. Nehemiah 13, we read about what happened with them. It says, moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. One of the sons, verse 28, the son of Joada, son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sambalat, the Horonite, and I drove him away from me. So, so what this is saying, Sambalat was like the chief enemy of the work that God was doing within Jerusalem. And now we read that the grandson of the high priest marries the daughter of the enemy. This isn't just a friendship now. Elisha had a friendship with Tobiah. This is now family. He, he, they've made the enemy family. And so God made it a directive to say, don't marry foreign wives. And it wasn't because God was a racist. It's because God knew that Israel had a propensity anytime they would end up with these foreign women, they would end up worshiping their gods from their culture. And God says, it's not a race issue, it's a worship issue. And when you partner yourself with the wrong people, you will end up worshiping the things that they worship, possibly, potentially. And, and we know this to be true, even with uh, our life as followers of Jesus. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 6.14. He says, don't continue to team up with unbelievers in mismatched alliances. For what partnership is there with righteousness and rebellion? Who could mingle light with darkness? That's the Passion Translation. I love how it says it. Who can mingle light with darkness? There, there, there is a, a teaming up with other people that there's a warning label saying, don't do this. And some of you that are single, you young adults, listen to me. It's imperative that you marry the right person. And some of us that have been married or are married right now will tell you 
Who you marry makes a big difference on how your life turns out. Can I get an amen to that, married folks or divorced folks? So choose wisely. And the Bible would go on record to say, make sure that the person that you are partnering with in your life is a follower of Jesus. Make sure that they are on team God because it's a lot easier for that person to pull you down than it is for you to lift them up. James, can I, can I borrow you for an illustration? For the sake of illustration, I'm here on this platform. James is there on the floor. So I want you to shake my hand, okay? I hand sanitize, so I'm good, all right? So, so pull me down. Would you just kind of pull me down? Okay, all right. So that was pretty easy. You're taking supplements, too, I think. I don't know. Uh, you're pretty strong. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to pull you up. Now, without, without you helping, like, you know, with the stepping up here, I'm gonna just try to lift you up. See, yeah. Now, he could step up here easily, but I'm like, ah. see, it would be hard. For, I, I would have to like, like get full body, you know, you know, bear hug and pull him up on the stage to get him up here versus how easy it was for him to pull me down. Thank you, bro. All right. Good job. All right. But, but that's just to say, like some of us, we have the best intention. We want to pull people up. Oh, man. But, but just know that the warning label in the Bible is it's just easier for them to pull you down. That's why you got to be careful. Business relationships, same thing. You can have coworkers that aren't followers of Jesus, but don't go into business partnership with somebody that's not a believer. Why? Because it can create all kinds of unnecessary drama for your life. True story, a friend of mine in Vegas, he had a great idea for a business and this guy came along and it was his friend but he wasn't a follower of Jesus what he wasn't even a believer in God and said man I can make this business with you we can make it happen and so they started this business together and it started off great the honeymoon stage of any relationship is great right and then the honeymoon wears off and now this guy is not paying any of the vendors he he's not even taking care of the assignments and, and my friend is in partnership with him. Now he's getting court orders. He's got to pay all of these, these fees back and, and business deals that he never agreed to. But because his name was on all of the corporate documents, he ended up having to pay for things that this unbelieving partner of his made because he really didn't have any kind of ethical practices that he was practicing as his business partner. So I don't know, maybe I'm saving somebody from headaches and heartaches in your future with getting involved in business with a person that is not already a part of Team God. So be, be careful, be, use it as a warning label in your own life, okay? So as, as we end our time, and I'll have the worship team come up, as we end our time, <clears throat> I know that some of you may be thinking like, I, I'm like, I've been coming to church here all my life. I really, I would never compromise my faith. I, I, would, I would never do anything that, that would actually sabotage my life. I, I know a lot of people that would probably say that, but to be honest with you, the Bible is full of stories like this to warn us that the best of men are men at best. And that nobody is above compromising their life and their faith to where you can actually do damaging things to your life. This week, a, a pretty famous pastor, it came out that his church fired him because he was unfaithful to his wife. He had an extramarital affair. Man, I look up to this guy. He, he preached from some of the best sermons that I, I've heard. And, and, and it just... 
it devastated me. But at the same time, it didn't shock me. Because even though he's a godly man, he's still a man. And any person, whether you're a man or a woman, any person that starts letting your foot off the gas and you start letting things slip in your life, you can get to a point where you slip so far on the other side that you start saying yes to things that you never thought you would ever say yes to. He posted on Instagram something that I circled and I wrote down and I thought to myself, this is, this is good for not just me, but for all of us to be able to hear and to feel and to absorb because this could be any of us. This is what he said. He says, over the years, I did not do an adequate job of protecting my own spirit refilling my own soul and reaching out for the readily available help that is available. When you lead out of an empty place, you make choices that have real and painful consequences. That is so good because any of us can live in that space. What do we need to do? If we wanna make sure the revival doesn't crash, close the gates. Kick the enemy out. Make God first. Trust in him always. And partner with the right people that are actually going to lift you up instead of pull you down. It's not that difficult. But what it does, it takes intentionality. So I want us to stand together. And, and as we end this series, Revival, I want to pray for some of you to experience the revival that God wants to do inside of you and others of you that you've already been tasting the goodness and the greatness of God, what he's doing inside of you. I'm gonna pray that that continues, that nothing, nothing crashes that and that you become aware of the mighty things that God is wanting to do, that your best is yet to come. Fathers, we worship. We pray, God, for that revival. And before we can expect a revival out there, God, we have to make room for a revival in here. And I pray that revival would take place in our lives. God, help us. Lord, we lament, we, we repent. God, we, we, we come to a place where we say no to ourselves and, and say yes to you, God. Let your spirit come. Let your will be done in me on earth as it is in heaven. Father, I pray that there would be a great awakening within our souls. And Lord, for those of us that are still, if we're already living wide awake, God, let that continue. May no crashes come into our life and compromise the work that you're doing in us so that, Lord, you can continue to do the great work through us. Have your way with our lives, Jesus. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms, and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? 
To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.